Hi, welcome back to Freshwater Perspectives. Today we're talking about the water mafia. Make sure to stay tuned. back riley what's going on hi man um not much actually a couple things uh i am on the search for a grad student Ooh. or collabor collaborative grad student how about that okay you're looking for so, phds you know i can i can no, i might be able to help you out <laughs> no like a regional master's school mm. um or uh, you know undergrad so i recently hired like a high schooler as an intern to like Oh, that's we have, great. We have a high school in the area. So it's like, why not do that connection? Yeah, no, that's um, great. It was brought up by a board member, actually. But like, I was like, that's great. And but so um, we have a watershed district mm -hmm. or not. That's not the right verbiage. We we run like a watershed. Like, I really want to incorporate data into there. So a lot of models have been used, but like not actual data to see if we're moving the needle water quality wise. And oh, I, was like, I see. There's all this. So it's like. The model we, we install a structure and it's like you just saved you know 900 tons of sediment therefore this much nitrogen this much phosphorus going to the oh, water okay like they, they use this like these calculators mm -hmm. that someone with science you know figure out but it's like dude like you know rain rain doesn't drop above the structure and that's it right like it's mm -hmm. you know it's everywhere so it's like are we actually moving the needle or not um, oh, I see. I don't know if I told you this or not. I'm having deja vu, but like we've, yeah, we've installed almost like 500 structures like in this hmm. watershed for over like, no, I don't, whole, I don't, yeah. I don't remember you bringing this up. That's great. That's yeah. Awesome. So, but then, you know, Minnesota, as with anything like, you know, funded with EPA and stuff, they, they were, they've recorded water quality data for quite a long time. So I was like, let's use this. Yeah, for um, sure. But it's a lot. So I was like, it's be a perfect grad project so uh a little too soon in like the the process but like i reached out to a couple universities because my thought process i'll probably have to do like a request for proposals or something but like mm -hmm. a couple and one that's really bumming me out that hasn't they haven't responded to me mm -hmm. and it's been like almost three weeks and i emailed multiple professors and i was like if i hear go to like a regional like you know Thing and you guys talk about lack of funding, I will be very upset with you because like, mm -hmm. I, <laughs> like, I'm like just like basically money. like waving. Yeah, I'm like, hey, over here. <laughs> um, obviously, it's not just my decision, but like oh, I'm yeah. trying to develop something I can bring to. We have like the next round of funding, and mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, this is like I think this would be great. So I got a couple people on board, one agency on board too, and I was like, let's do this. So. Yeah. Um, it's going to happen. Either I will do the work or a grad student will do the work, but I'm like, this is come hell or high water. Yeah. So, That's, I mean, um, yeah, I don't, I hope someone responds for you. The, I mean, yeah. cause that would be a super, it's a super applied project. It's, I mean, That's what it's I, my whole point in going this route is like, I want to get in the field, mm -hmm. identify the problem and fix it within rather than being on the outside looking in no offense mm -hmm. to academics, but sometimes I probably mentioned that too on the, you know, there's, there's a little bit of, oh, I don't want to use, there's one word I want to use, but I can't use that Char charlatan, but like, <laughs> like you just, Ooh. you just don't, you don't have the whole picture. Right. Yeah. Like, 
and it's um yeah, it's something that bothered me some like some calculated withholding of data or people are just very protective of their data, especially yeah. in academia. I think that's the big thing, you know? And then um, my second idea that I want to do is we have like this groundwater problem. Mm -hmm. People are really worked up in my area about this groundwater. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. and someone like literally wrote this in. So I did a survey. It was like, how are we doing? You know, to people that like purchase stuff through us. Um, we had a tree sale where we sell trees to residents, but like, mm. Like one of them was like, you should do, and this people have already done this before. This is not a novel idea, but it's like, you should do a, um, like well testing, which we do, but like on mm -hmm. a large scale. And like mm -hmm. the state of Minnesota has done that. But I was like, it was, you know, from 2016, I was like, well, I think it's high time to redo this. But like, yeah. I was like, I, I want to do a groundwater bio blitz, or I'll call it like a water Ooh. blitz. And like the slogan would be like, no well left untested or something there like that go. there you go because uh, <laughs> i think in my county there's there's you know twenty two thousand people oh that's not a lot yeah see that when you when you see the numbers it's actually a little more tangible because and then you have you know there's some cities interspersed yeah and they they had they test their water so you wouldn't have to retest those so just be mm -hmm. people out there but i've reached out to a couple people like in my area and i think they're down for this too <laughs> because it's, it's it's a huge issue like the yeah um yeah so Side are you guys note, able to yeah. are you guys able to test water in-house we we do not oh, nice accredited there's like a accreditation mm -hmm. but on the flip side we just be like we're, we're guiding people like oh your water's you know bad you should get this yeah. looked at i mean it's um, a it's a better number than not having any number yeah at all, so it, like we're so we do have some accreditation for some things, but then the other mm -hmm. stuff, it's, uh, it's more of just guidance, right? Yeah. It's, uh, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's to tell them yes or no, but, um, yeah, dude. So I want to, I want to get like a, a regional, like, yeah, water blitz or something I'm going to call it. Okay. I just, oh, dude, I want it, man. And I was like, God, we should get a grad student for that. Um, I mean, I, gonna, that might be, that. I don't know. That might be too simple of a project though. It would Although, have to be. I don't know. Well, so there's already data too, right? So there's long-term yeah. data. Uh, yeah. That could work, actually. More like a that would be like a more of like a public healthy student. Like, yeah, this is the mm -hmm. huge issue. Um, yeah. You know, there's already work being done, and this is like another way to raise awareness as well as get people tested. Because the, yeah. the idea would be like we test in my mind, and people have already done this, so it's not my my idea. But like you test. If they're you know super high, like in a certain threshold, then we would test again just to make sure, mm -hmm. and then we'd guide them to certain resources. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but no, those are my great. big ones. I know. Okay, I'm trying yes. to get back in it, or not back in it, but like, like, oh, I want to do a big water project. I've just got the itch, man. <laughs> no, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. We'll see. I'll fill okay. you in if it works or not. Yeah, please do. Looking forward to yeah, looking forward to hearing about that. Yeah, um, you, you I don't come work with me, baby. Yeah, please. Post I let's do it. Oh, don't yeah, tempt actually, me. Oh, I don't have anything that exciting or big going on right now. Um, just trying to. It's mid, still the middle of the field season. We got some students are starting their field experiments. I'm still doing my surveys, going out on the the big boat on Monday. So excited about that. Taking the old Boston whaler out um 
Besides that, I have trying to get some papers out that I've been sitting on for a couple weeks. So trying to get those out to co-authors and get that those submitted to journals. So that's really it right now. Trying to stay busy. Dude, publish or perish, you know. So true. Because I think I three, two, three papers after like grad school, and like Mm -hmm. it's just so hard, man. If you can get that done before you graduate, oh, that'd be such a weight. And I know, like you're doing it right so it's like mm-hmm. you're not but like dude if you because i a couple of mine it took a couple of years right and it's just like they always it always ugh. takes i feel like it always takes three times longer than it should and then yeah. like longer than you think it'll take like my first it, paper to publish it took 10 months to publish yeah oh it's insane you'll be sitting pretty though good for you yeah that's the plan man we're trying you know we're just trying just we're just doing it yep what is yeah. it? Head to the grindstone, whatever that's called, whatever that power that phrase goes. Yeah. Nose to the grindstone. Is that Nose what it is? The nice? There it is. We got there. <laughs> we got there. Um, but how do you feel about water mafia, Riley? What comes to mind when I say water mafia? Besides like 70s gangsters or 40, 1940s yeah. New York I gangsters. I literally have no idea what you're going to talk about. Okay. I'm just thinking, you know, mafia, limiting resource or high value resource mm-hmm. um, that spurs on, you know, a, a back market to sell yeah. this. Um, but other than that, I'm like, yeah, water mafia. I don't know. Okay. Is this in the United States? It is not in the United States. Okay. So, well, as far as I know, it's not in the United States. These are by and large in developing nations. We're focusing on the water mafia slash water mafias in one particular country. Um, and we'll kind of get there as we go. So let's let me go ahead and, and do my little setup spiel I like to do. So today's story, we're gonna go deep into a black market trading in liquid gold. Groundwater pumped from secret wells under the cover of darkness while authorities look the other way. All the while, untreated, unregulated water is being distributed to millions and millions of people every day. To these grateful recipients, it's a gracious gesture. But is this Robin Hood of water story really that cut and dry? Let's find out as we talk about the water mafia. How do you like that? What are you, a box reporter? (laughs) Did you meet one of these water water mafias? People (laughs) go undercover with you have like a recording like it's just like the voice changey thing <laughs> how we have right. the face blacked out and everything yeah they're like oh, God, water. uh no you read enough articles do you feel like you were there yeah so i i actually stumbled upon this story and this kind of topic in general so i was giving out extra credit assignments for limnology this past spring nerd and i know <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had students watch a few documentaries on water scarcity and they just needed to write about, you know, what they saw and how privileged we are to have seemingly unlimited supply of water here in, in America. And most students actually seem to, to like the assignment. So that's always good. But how we actually got to talk to the, talking about the water mafia and everything I'll be talking about today is mainly from a National Geographic documentary titled Parched. Supplemented with some info from the BBC, NPR, and some other sources. So shout out to to those BBC. outlets for for doing a lot of that heavy work for me. So One again, hmm? One request. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about the BBC, like um, the, the quotes you got from them, you have to do mm-hmm. the David Attenborough 
Um, <laughs> I don't have any quotes from them. <laughs> so a British thankfully, accent? Okay. <laughs> thankfully, I didn't do that to myself. Okay. <laughs> so, again, like kind of like I, I said earlier, there are other kind of similar syndicates going on around the world and different developing nations, but we're going to be focusing on probably the most famous water mafia, and that's of India's major cities, including Mumbai and Delhi. So let's go ahead and kind of jump in here, shall we? So to start, I feel like it's good to kind of set the stage here as far as India as a country and kind of what it looks like from a water demand standpoint. Kind of let's look at the numbers before we kind of start crunching everything down here. So I'm sure everyone already knows India has an absolutely massive population currently standing at about 1.4 billion, rivaled only by China. And they're at pretty close to the same number. Current projections have India passing China within the next 10 to 20 years as far as the most populated country in the world. So keep that in mind. This is a lot of people. And if I'm not mistaken, India is much smaller in size compared to China. So it's a much more densely populated nation. So according to the World Bank, India holds approximately 18% of the world's population, but only 4% of its available water, making it one of the most water-stressed regions in the entire world. Add to that the intense wet and dry seasons, and water is either too abundant to store reliably or simply too scarce given the current infrastructure. The Indian government and several international organizations, including the United Nations, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and the World Bank, have each published audits of India's water security issues. All these organizations have cited groundwater depletion as the number one threat to Indian water security right now. Groundwater constitutes 85% of India's water supply, and there's simply not enough to go around right now. So several of these groups have implemented education programs to reach out to underprivileged villages and dense agricultural areas to help the locals learn how to budget their water to get the most out of its use during the wet season and also make it last longer during the dry season. These outreach and education programs equate to about $1.2 billion in aid from local and foreign organizations. Such efforts have already yielded a 6 to 25% increase in conserved water thanks to responsible water use and cash incentives, all without a reduction in crop yield, according to a 2023 World Bank report. So there does seem to be some water, you know, this is obviously an issue that they're aware about. Um, it's something that not only India, but, you know, World Bank, a bunch of other international organizations are trying to kind of get in and, and help out there. But with that being said, uh, many of India's citizens also suffer from drinking water, drinking untreated river or groundwater that may contain harmful amounts of fluoride, iron, and even arsenic, according to India's Water Resources Ministry in a 2012 survey. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it's northeastern India has a natural deposit of arsenic. Completely natural, but is a high concentration of arsenic. That, that they have to deal with. It could also be Northwest, closer to Bangladesh. I am not entirely certain, but somewhere in that region, there is a naturally high deposit of arsenic, which is very unfortunate to deal with. Yeah. So, so on top of fluoride and what was the other one? Iron. Iron. High, very high concentrations of iron. Okay. 
So perhaps even more worrying is that many people living in India's dense urban areas uh, only receive water during select hours on certain days of the week. Can you imagine only having water for, say, four hours on Monday and Thursday? Can Can you just imagine that concept? Yeah, jeez. Like, I'm taking showers for four hours, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> kidding everyone. I mean, like if that if that happened here, there would be like news vans everywhere. There, like you know, if if you lost water for a day, there'd be news vans everywhere. Let alone you only get it for four hours. Yeah, dude. At my town, um, this is funny. Like uh, the electric company, mm-hmm. it's it's the the town's utility company. Mm-hmm. Um, they like called me up and they like, there's there's this like alternator like energy thing that you, you put on your house and mm-hmm. it's for like peak to stress the system like um if, if the system is being stressed uh they they shut off the portion going to like to your water heater oh it's like during peak super peak times it's like mm-hmm. when you wouldn't be showering anyways mm-hmm. and like they're like give you a couple dollars off every month or something on your water bill if they like allow if you allow them to do this mm-hmm. and that's nothing compared to what you're saying but i was like I even think I was like, do I want this? That's like the like, closest. Of I, do. I know. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that's the, the so close- <laughs> closest example I can give you, and it's not even that big of a deal. I closest- ended up doing it, and it's like, the, yeah. The closest you have is you may not have hot water, even yeah. when you wouldn't normally. Like you wouldn't, you may not have hot water like two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, and it's like it's it's a water like your water. There's hot water in the tank, right? So it's like mm-hmm. you still have hot water. So I was like, I'm so dumb. I don't know yeah. why. I just, that's unfortunate yeah i know no not even <laughs> important it's feel, like, it, i'm so i'm so sorry that you have to deal with that right that is outrageous like, i think i guess i can do my part like i'll say also that they ask permission too <laughs> they ask permission they even plus ask permission they incentivize you, like, say, you, you a couple bucks stuff. off every month i was like worse i'll do that you're you're a good Honestly, american it was, it was the money thing like i had to be incentivized <laughs> so i was like yeah I need that. So yep. you're a good American. You're doing your part, even if you're being incentivized to do so. <laughs> so getting back to India and its water issues here. So with all that previously described demand for water, it was really only a matter of time before someone stepped in with the supply to turn a profit. And it's hard to say when exactly the Water mafias kind of began in earnest, but most reports point to the 1960s when the city of Delhi and other major Indian cities began to expand rapidly. Poor planning meant Delhi was only building for the then current population of 2.6 million rather than plan for the future and ensure the city was prepared in 20 years or so when the population more than doubled to 6.2 million. Amongst this massive Uh, growth most infrastructure improvements and development were focused in the wealthy areas of delhi leaving many citizens homeless and entire unauthorized colonies were established as a result so not a good start but as colonies grew and grew as you can imagine many politicians and members of the upper class became fearful that these squatter colonies would become recognized you know Why, why would you want that and therefore, they would start receiving benefits such as water. You can't have those people receiving water. Of course not, right? right? 
1993, a bill worked its way through the Indian judiciary system to forbid the Indian government from encouraging or further developing any unauthorized settlements. Needless to say, many citizens were pretty rightly outraged, and this is when they started to take matters, including water, into their own hands as a means of securing vital drinking water and the money they needed to survive and thrive. The system started with good intentions as rebellious citizens tapped their own wells and distributed water free of charge, but things quickly began to spiral as people inevitably started to charge for their services. Nonetheless, it is a complicated and very illegal situation. In most cases, crews will go out to illegally drilled wells during the night and pump groundwater into huge tanker trucks. These tankers can hold over 8,000 gallons of water, and there are usually a line of 20 or so tankers ready to fill up. Once full, they pull out onto the highway and dart off to their deliveries. In most cities, the police are outmanned and outgunned, so although they may be fully aware of when and where the pumping is occurring, there is simply nothing they can do. Or further complicating matters is that in one massive city like Mumbai with over 22 million citizens, they can have multiple water mafias that are completely separate from each other, meaning that there isn't just one big boss or group of people that are in charge that the police can target. and on top of that cities can absolutely are absolutely peppered with illegal wells so i mean it's just like i said it's super complex the fact that these water mafias aren't organized is actually playing to their advantage because again it's not like there's one kind of kingpin in charge of the water mafia you know the big kind of don boss like in the godfather that's in charge of everything that you can just lock him up and then you're good to go now it's there's 10 15 20 different individual mafias going on that it's yeah. yeah i don't know how you get a hold of that so i mentioned that um some of these cities can be absolutely peppered with these illegal wells a 2001 audit in the city of delhi claimed that there were approximately 200,000 illegal wells dotted throughout the city so again it's not like the police can simply shut down a well and this problem goes away on top of that, water mafias have begun digging wells outside of major cities to avoid police stings in areas where authorities won't accept their bribes. Mm -hmm. And the actual process behind the water mafia, again, pretty straightforward. Prices themselves actually aren't as outrageous as you might think. Foreignpolicy.com reporter Aman uh, Sethi went right to the source and talk to some of the tank drivers and water pumpers in Sangam Vihar. In that circumstance, Aman found that tanker bosses buy water from men who pump it illegally and then sell that water to locals for a, on their end, it's a huge profit, but I'll break down some of the numbers here. Uh, in that particular case, the tanker bosses were buying water at $3 every 2,600 gallons. So that, that's, that's how much their trucks held. So they're buying two, almost 3,000 gallons of water for $3, and they ended up selling it to locals for one cent per gallon. That equates to about $26 per truck. Boss awfully, often runs 20 or more trucks. Keep in mind, that can be up to about $520 for one night's work. And on top of that, prices can be even higher in bigger cities. Um, Keep in mind, there's obviously some takeaway for, you know, you got to pay the driver and stuff like that. But as far as your kind of gross profit, $520 for, I guess, a little less minus 
$3. So $517 profit for one night's work. It's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, so the, the demand is there, right? Like that's why they're there. Oh, absolutely. So it's like, like, yeah. What would the, what would these cities do that are are frowning upon? I get why, right? Like Mm -hmm. unregulated, but like, if they were to like truly shut down every mafia boss, like what kind of stress would that put on the city? Like this is obviously filling a niche. Yeah. I, it, it wouldn't solve the problem. I think you would just, yeah. you would just have more, you would just have different people go in and tap those wells. I don't think you can really put a stop to this. No, no, no. In like, its I, current state. No, for, for sure. Totally like human nature that would happen. But like mm-hmm. just in like a, place scenario if they they truly stopped everyone and then like the infrastructure of water going to that city like would it even supply everyone adequately or like is this like truly needed i mean people get their water (laughs) according to you know kind of what we talked about earlier in in that specific example i gave there they were only getting water for a couple hours a day and that may not even be every day right yeah so so like basic needs would probably go by the wayside. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I have Crazy. some of those numbers. I have some of those numbers right here. As a matter of fact. Oh my God. Okay. So how you might be asking Riley, does this get fixed? Um, and honestly, like I said, I'm not sure uh, without significant investment, the imbalance of resources is pretty baffling. So according to a 2013 audit from the Indian government, citizens living in the colonies, this illegal colonies, received about one gallon of water per day on average compared to 116 gallons of water given to members of the elite, such as politicians, judges, members of the wealthy class, etc. This has only encouraged the actions of the water mafias as businesses like restaurants, shopping centers, and even office towers have begun procuring water from the water mafias to ensure their toilets can be flushed, their employees and customers can have a drink of water when they need it. So you just talked about the infrastructure yeah. supplying the basic needs. Clearly can't. And then they're also yeah. allowing these different businesses to go up. And it doesn't seem like their basic business needs can be met either. Jesus. So yeah, it's a I mean, but at the same time, it's there's only so much water to go around, right? There's, so it may not even really be an infrastructure thing, it's just a numbers thing. You have what were the numbers? Let me scroll back up here. 18% of the world's population but 4% of it's available drinking water. Wow. You know, I I don't, I don't know how that, I I don't know how you make that math work. It might just be one. I, yeah, I'm not sure what the best, what the best solution is. Um, So there have been, but you know, kind of that aside. So there have been some efforts to combat these illegal activities, but they have really been, they haven't really been given any teeth. These some independent water associations were established to regulate the cost of water leaving the wells. So at least they're like, hey, we don't like what's going on here, but we want to make sure that people aren't getting, you know, overcharged for this basic necessity. Um, But again, membership in these uh, associations is strictly voluntary and there's no enforcement to ensure that water is actually being priced appropriate. There's no there's no oversight. There's yeah, there's I think it's. It was more of a kind of publicity kind of trying to the government trying to show the people that they're trying, but it doesn't it doesn't yeah. really seem to be anything really. Mm-hmm. Um, the wide sweeping corruption throughout the Indian government it, that's an entirely different story that someone probably more educated on the topic uh, for me can probably explain. 
But for our purposes, all we really need to know is that many politicians in India seem to either overpromise on their solutions to the water crisis or just ignore it entirely. So not to mention officials outright laundering money away from important infrastructure projects. This obviously led to near constant turnover in the Indian government. All that being said, the most successful projects have been grassroots and community-led ones. Uh, 2015 Stockholm Water Prize winner uh, Rajendra Singh has spent over 30 years educating local communities on how to support and revive their aquifers through the use of rainwater harvesting and similar water conservation measures. In her local state of Rajasthan, uh, Singh has reported that the water table has risen quite appreciably as a result of her efforts. I couldn't find any numbers to kind of back that up, but I, you know, we'll take her at her word. She won the 2015 Stockholm Water Prize. Um, it's a simple solution that Singh has begged the government to adopt with seemingly no avail. So I think that might be a good place to start, you know, capturing rainwater at the very least. Yeah. And um, I don't talk about it too much here. We're kind of getting towards the end, but I think people might, I think the big thing that people might be thinking about is dams, right? Reservoirs. That's one way to store a lot of water really easily. And there are already some reservoirs in India. I think part of the problem with that is one, make sure you're not overdrawing, of course, but two, actually getting that water as far out as it needs to go. So either they need to bulk up the infrastructure to get that water pumped where it needs to go, or they need to pump in a bunch more investment to build an entire new reservoir, which I don't know how you can do that because as densely populated of a country as India is, you're flooding an entire valley. You got to move all those people. Yeah. I don't know if that's all that feasible right now. Um, so, you know, I, yeah, I don't know if there's an easy solution to this, unfortunately. So I don't know if this is a, this is a happy story, but hopefully it's an educational one, but all in all, again, there's not really an, a simple solution, but it's one that other nations, like I kind of mentioned earlier, Developing nations are starting to face, such as Bangladesh, Ecuador, even Honduras, are currently facing to a lesser extent, similar to the Salted Sea episode that we actually talked about, where we talked about the Great Lake, Great Salt Lake in Utah, you know, how that was drying up and the Salted Sea was kind of like a canary in the coal mine, that whole situation drying up, toxic sediments, everything. Yeah. No one really seemed to learn from that lesson. Um, this doesn't, this kind of seems to be the same thing where it's looking like India's kind of being this foreboding warning to other nations with water security issues in the near future. And it's a sad and, and sobering story that I don't know if many of us can one relate to, and then two also wrap our heads around. Um, again, just imagine going over to turn your faucet on and just no water came out. One, imagine that being a normal thing. Like you're not being surprised by that. I think yeah. that's, that's a different, entirely different way of thinking that a lot of us couldn't, I couldn't do, you yeah. know, just moving into this apartment, we had, you know, water leaking all over the place. So that was like a whole thing I did was hit, shut off our water for a couple hours and I was freaking out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I just imagine that being a normal thing. It's yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, so yeah. yeah, I just, and that, you know, kind of from that perspective, if that, if that was you, right, where you turn on your faucet and nothing comes out and that's a normal thing for you every day. I mean, what would you do to kind of solve that problem? I think, you know, it wouldn't take, it wouldn't take very much for you to take matters into your own hands, right? Drill your own well, at least go buy it from wherever you can. 
you can't really blame the people for needing water at the end of the day is I think what I'm trying to get at here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But pretty crazy. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. It's eye opening. Um, but yeah, the, again, National Geographic has, they jump around a little bit more into the different nations um, with their different water scarcity issues. But I found this situation over in India and those countries to be pretty interesting. So I wanted to focus on yeah. that a little bit, but that's all I had. Yeah, great. So well, until next time, well, wait, wait. Um, if anybody would like to provide comments, give us any tips, uh, new things we should look into, uh, email us at fwperspectives at gmail.com. Look mm -hmm. forward to hearing from you. We'll see you later. All right. See you, Riley. See you, Matt.